Thank you, Joe. Thank you for team. Thank you, musicians. My goodness. I kind of threw you guys a curveball there, but uh, thank you for hitting it right out of the ballpark as you always do. I'm telling you, I say this often. I say it often. There may be better music. There may be as good a music, but there's not better music in Cobb County. Amen. Tremendous, tremendous music. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to, where they're going to lead us to our Good Friday worship gathering here uh, in a few weeks as well. It's going to be a wonderful time. So invite your friends and have them come be with us during that time. If you brought your Bible, I hope you did. Turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. We are continuing in our series called The Beatitudes. I did not write the sermon title, Beatitudes. It was already written way before I ever started unpacking it, but it is something that I think we need to continue to, to discuss. Uh, it's, it's a series that I think has been uh, beneficial for me. I hope it has for you, but it's been beneficial for me to us unpack a verse at a time. But I do believe that we should read the entire text each week, and we'll do that again today. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, and today we're talking about merciful when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, up on the mountain, and he sat down, after he sat down, excuse me, he, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he began teaching them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for, righteous, for the righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you're about to do in our midst today. Father, thank you for this text. Thank you for this particular verse that we will unpack today. Father, I pray that we'll be a reminder of who we should be. And Father, thank you so much for your word. It never returns void. Thank you for our time in worship, this biblical worship this morning. Father, I pray that it was ministry into your heart that you are the great one. You are the great holy God, the God of the universe. And Father, our voices were lifted as a praise offering to you and not as a performance by no means. And Father, you are the audience of one. And Father, I pray as, you, as we speak here this morning that you take these words and these principles today and rivet them into our souls. And Father, that we become different than when we came and we walk away from here completely different than we came. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. The old Puritan Theologian Jameson said these words, the foregoing beatitudes are the first four, represent the saints rather than as conscious of their need of salvation and acting suitably to, the, to that character. 
than as possessed of it. The next three are a different kind, representing the saints as having found salvation and conducting themselves accordingly. A merciful person forgives the guilty and has compassion on the needy and the suffering. A meek person, we discussed a few weeks ago, a meek person acknowledges that to others that he or she is sinful. But a merciful person has compassion on others because they are sinful. Notice something, that Jesus did not specify a situation or situations, for that matter, in which a merciful person displays mercy because he or she is characteristically merciful. The promise applies in many, many different, different situations. I want you to look with me in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 10. Luke's gospel, chapter 10. And that shows us of that wonderful text. That is the Good Samaritan text. We know that story. If we've been to any kind of Bible study or Sunday school or life group or kids ministry or whatever. But Luke chapter 10 tells us that wonderful story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story about the certain man going down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem to Jericho he fell upon the robbers and they beat him up and they stripped him and and they beat him and left him half dead on the side of the road several went by even a priest and some others went by and they passed by him and likewise a Levite also passed by them And, and then a certain man a Samaritan that we call the Good Samaritan. We coined that phrase. He came by there and who was on his journey came upon him. He felt deeply compassion for that one that had been beat up. And he bandaged him and he took him and put him on his own animal and brought him into the inn and he took care of him. And the next day he took out some denarii, a couple of them, and he said, look, this will help him in his needs and take care of that and I'm going to go on my journey when I come back I will repay any other additional charges he wanted to take care of him and the one who showed mercy towards him Jesus said go and do the same you see Wiersbe says it best to extend mercy means to means to withhold Judgment. If I had a message truth, this would be what it is. The true merciful person offers forgiveness to those who have hurt them. Make amends for the harm that they have done to others. You see, I believe Wiersbe said it best. To extend mercy means to withhold judgment. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Presbyterian preacher, says these words. Grace is especially associated with men and their sins. Mercy is especially associated with men in their misery. Men in their misery. The blessing of merciful of the merciful is that they will receive mercy. So in essence, if we are merciful, we shall receive mercy ourselves. Jesus did not mean that people can earn uh, their mer- God's mercy for salvation by being merciful to others. He actually meant that God will deal mercifully with people who have dealt mercifully with other people. 
I think the Old Testament gives us several uh, uh, references to that. First of all, in Psalms chapter 18, notice these verses. In chapter 18, verse 25 and following. With the kind, with the kind thou dost show thyself kind. With the blameless thou dost show thyself blameless. With the pure thou dost show thyself pure. With the crooked thou dost show thyself astute. I truly believe that the Old Testament gives us a framework of what being merciful is all about. Notice again in Isaiah chapter 49 verse 10 just as a point of reference for us to consider. Verse 10 of 49 Isaiah. They will not hunger neither will the scorched heat or sun strike them down. It goes on to say, for he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. Oh, my dear friends, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If we survive all the hurts And all the people who have been hurt by all the hurts you have caused on someone else. Every relationship that was broken. Every person that has betrayed you throughout your entire life. We would be here forever. If we started listing those, those would be an endless, it seems like, list of all the hurts that you've been hurt. And those that you've caused against someone else. But I do want you to catalog as many of those, starting with the most recent Those that maybe happened in the last few days or months or so. I challenge you to write those down on your worship guide. I want you to refer back to those and understand that God will show mercy if you show mercy to those who have hurt you. The list could be quite endless. Our model, dear friends, for forgiveness is the person of Jesus. Our model is the person of Jesus. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not anything that we might do in and of ourselves. But the model is the person of Jesus. When we look at Jesus, we see the the epitome of a merciful person. Even when Jesus hung there on the cross, he was full of mercy and forgiveness. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. What a beautiful portrait of forgiveness, of merciful person presenting mercy to those who are causing him harm. That is true. That is true forgiveness. I was questioning myself this morning early when I was having coffee this morning. I was thinking about the message and kind of playing and rolling in my, in my mind as I do every morning. It's so quiet at my house when I get up. There's only two of us there. And if there was five of us, because I get up so early, it's real quiet. I mean real quiet at my house. But I was thinking about the message today. And I was thinking about why do we not show mercy? I think it's this. I think it's because we love poorly. When we get right down to it, we don't love well. Now, we say the word, I love you, man. I love you, girl. I love you so much. We just use that phrase over and over and over again that sometimes it just doesn't have enough meaning to it. We love poorly. Because we don't love well, we continue to hurt those 
around us. We need forgiveness and mercy. And we need all of those walls torn down. Have you heard the phrase? They hurt the person that they should love the most. I know people that way. They end up hurting the people that we should love the most. Who are the people we should love the most? The people that we're the closest to. Many times we hurt our family members more than we hurt those that we hardly know. And so if I've come to the understanding that I believe beyond a shadow of doubt, we just love poorly. I want you to look at an opposite of the Good Samaritan in forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and following. You know this story. It's a story about forgiveness. And he said, uh, seven times. How many times do you give? Well, forgive. Well, you forgive seven times 70. It gives 70, 70 times seven. This reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle an account to his slaves. And what did he do? He gave that guy mercy. But the slave did the opposite, did he not? He went out and found a slave that owned him, owed him some resources and he held it against him. He began to choke him. Physically, I believe, put his hands around his neck and began to choke him and said, I want you to repay me, repay me. He was unable, however, and he went down and he threw him into prison and to pay back what was owed. So his fellow slaves saw what would happen and they were deeply grieved and they came and reported it to the Lord that had happened and they summoned him and the Lord said to him, you wicked slave. I forgave you all that you, your debt that because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave? And it goes on to say, and the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. So here it is. So that my heavenly father also do to you. Each of you does not Forgive his brothers from your heart. What he's saying is we should go the extra mile. If we have been forgiven, we should be willing to forgive. I want you to know something, dear friends. I wish that section of scripture was not in the Bible. It it would be fine for me if the Lord had left that one out. If that section of scripture, had, because it's uncomfortable. I wish it was not an event that was recorded in scripture. But I started thinking again this morning at the second cup of coffee. I was thinking again, why is that scripture there? I believe Jesus recorded that story for one reason. To change our lives in the 21st century. I truly believe that beyond a shadow of doubt. That he put that in scripture for us to consider today. So this morning... Now that we're getting into the message, I want you to look at two principles for us to consider. Mercy principles, if I may. The first one is this. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. So why did the king forgive this man in Matthew 18? Why does God forgive me? I am not worthy of his forgiveness. Neither are you. The most spiritual person in this room is not worthy of his forgiveness. Yet he does forgive us 
and the mercy that he shows takes my breath away. It's simply when I start thinking about the mercy that he gives me, the grace that he gives me, the, sa- the forgiveness that he gives me simply takes my breath away. It reminds me of that great parable in Luke chapter 15. You know, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and then we call it the lost son. I think it should be retitled calling the parable of the loving father. Because it's such a portrait of what this wonderful man did. His son wanted his, his inheritance. He wanted all of his inheritance in chapter 15 of Luke. He said, give me what's mine. And he went off and he lived the way he wanted to live. And he spent all of his inheritance. In fact, to the matter of Matt, he got to the point where he was inside a pigsty. He was inside a pig pen. And he was eating the pods in which the, the swine did eat. And he came to his senses and said, I, I have it." so much better at home maybe just maybe just maybe but my father will forgive me and he starts coming home and I picture in my infinite finite little brain that the the father was standing with one foot on the rail of that fence just waiting for his son to come home waiting on him to come home and as he came home he started a party he said we're going to have a party put on a robe on his back put shoes on his feet put a ring on his hand kill the fatted calf we are about to have a party praise the name of Jesus they started with barbecue amen it just hit me Brian Lumpkin Luke 15 says it's okay to eat barbecue amen kill the pig let's have a barbecue for once my son was away I'm bringing him home he's coming home and I forgive him what a beautiful portrait that was why does he love his and forgive his son? It's the same way the heavenly father forgives us because he is passionately in love with us. All the hurt that you put out, all the hatefulness you put out, all the snars you say, all the backbiting that you might backbite and say, give, give comments about someone, all of those the Lord forgives us for those. It reminds me of that wonderful psalm, Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all my innermost being. Bless his holy name. Sometimes we want to come to a simple equation. An equation like A plus B equals C. God forgives me. I forgive you. We're done. Well, sorry, it's just not that simple But it really isn't that simple. The easy part is God forgives me. But some of us have a hard time of forgiving someone that has hurt us. Why is that? Because we like to hold grudges. We might on the outside smile and look like we got it all put together. And even in public places appear that we have it all put together and that we're so spiritual We have that halo around us, so to speak. Yet we appear to have forgiven the person, but deep, deep inside, it's gnawing at us and it's eating at us and we're holding that grudge. I'm reminded of an educator told me one time, she was, had some little tights in her class and, and they were in the, on the playground and the little, one of the little boys was really being mean to one of his little buddies. And I mean, he was really, really being mean to him. Actually, he was, he, was a, a, he, was, he was being heartful to him physically 
and just being mean to him. And she said, I've had enough. So she got a stool and she put the little boy over by the tree that was being mean to the other kids. And she sat him down on that stool and said, don't get up. Now, I have a better deterrent than sitting him on the stool, but we can't do that in schools anymore. But in my house, we did it. Sit there. Don't get up. And the little boy had this pouty look on his face, and he had this lip poked out. And she walked by over him, and she said, why are you pouting? You were the one that was at fault. Why are you pouting? And he looked up at her, and she said, well, ma'am, while I am sitting down on the outside, on the inside, I'm standing up. You see, sometimes we look good on the outside, but deep down inside, Matt, we haven't forgiven that person. C.S. Lewis said it best, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. The first principle is pretty easy. Because God, because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. The second one is pretty difficult. Fact of the matter, it's chilling. It's even more disturbing than I originally thought. But the second principle is this. The forgiving, the unforgiving, become unforgiven. The unforgiving become unforgiven. I don't know about you, but I find myself in the role of the ungrateful servant often. Having been forgiven, turning onto those who need forgiving... When it comes to being wounded, I'm not interested sometimes in mercy. I want justice. I want the person to pay. Am I the only one in this room that feels that way? I want them to pay. When we refuse to forgive and forget, then we place ourselves in a torture chamber. We build walls around our hearts. We, will, we become bitter and unforgiveness becomes a way of life within our relationships. Matthew 5 verse 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He goes on to say in this wonderful Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 verse 12, the New Living Translation version says, And forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Matthew chapter 12 verse 14 and 15, If you forgive those who have sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's strong. That's not my words. That's God's words. If you got a problem with that, take it up with him. Don't write me a bad email. It's his words. If you're not willing to forgive, sometimes you will not be forgiven. Luke chapter 6 verse 37 says, stop judging others and you will not be judged. Stop criticizing others or it will, be, it will all come back on you. If you forgive others, you will be, say it with me, forgiven. Martin Luther didn't like James. He didn't like it because he thought it was a straw epistle. I think it was powerful, and I still do. I think the book of James is powerful. We ought to do a series through that. 
But James chapter 2, verse 13, the New Living Translation writes these words. For there will be no mercy for you if you have not been merciful to others. Wow. But if you've been merciful, then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment. That'll preach, guys. That is powerful. I wrote this down just the other day. As long as we are unable to forgive, we keep ourselves chained, chained to the unforgiving. We give them rent-free space in our minds. Emotional shackles to our heart. And the right to torment us in the small hours of the night. Because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. The unforgiving becomes unforgiven. John Perkins writes these words. The saddest people I know are those who are unable to forgive. The second part of this beatitude is the best part of the beatitude, in my opinion. They will be shown mercy. What does that mean? We received mercy from God when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. As God changes and shapes into our heart, we become more merciful to the people around us. We become more merciful, merciful when we realize how much mercy God has displayed upon us. Because I have been forgiven, I can forgive. Because the unforgiving becomes unforgiven. I started thinking about how do we wrap up this morning? How does that happen? What is the application and how can we start now forgiving those that have hurt us? I started thinking back, Matt, to my youth camp days when I would speak at eight to ten youth camps a summer. It was wonderful. I ate more sloppy joes than I've ever eaten in my life. I'm telling you, pizza became a way of life. I recall one summer we did 10 camps at the beach. Remember that, Deb? Loaded up, packed out, and left for 10 weeks. 10 straight youth camps at the beach. Somebody had to do it. We had great tans, didn't we, babe? It was awesome. But we gained about 25 pounds eating all that pizza. Right? I started thinking about those youth camp days, and I remember some of the youth camp leaders would want to have the big, big invitation at the end of the week. I said, I don't like that. They're missing out. They're going to wait and do all their confessing at the end of the week. Let's do it right out of the gate. I gave the strongest invitation appeal on the first night. Every one of those old camp times, I remember some of y'all shaking your head. You remember that? They used to build a cross. And especially at the beach, they would take it down on the beach. We'd have the beach service that night. And they would drive that cross down into the beach sand. And we'd get around and we'd have some bags with candles in it. It was neat. Some guy would play a guitar and we'd sing and I'd share the word. And then we'd pass out little notes for kids to write those situations on their life. And I think it's appropriate for us here today. 
You see, we could just nail it to the cross. We could take a, 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 a bag of nails and a hammer, and we could just take those sins and put them up there and nail those things to the cross and let the blood of Jesus pour over them in our illustration, in our minds. Nail it to the cross. The second thing we would do, we start asking them right now, right now, start over. If you'll confess you their mouth, he's faithful and just to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Simply means you can start fresh every day. Been hurt or you've been hurtful. You can start brand new today. Nail it to the cross. Start right now. Start today. Blessed are those, oh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Gather in here close. Have you been hurt? Have you hurt someone? Start now. Start today. Confessing that. And watch God pour his mercy upon you. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we don't have a cross here in the front for you to nail to. We have a, an altar here that you can come to. If you're here today and you say, I've been hurt or I've hurt someone and I'm going through some difficult times, this altar is open for you. We're singing a wonderful hymn of the faith today to make it easy for you to stand up and slip out and confess and surrender to his lordship today. So today I challenge you, if you've been hurt or you've been the person that hurt someone and you need to confess that, I challenge you, we have pastors are here at the front we have encouragers to pray with you if you're viewing us on our live stream you can message us right now and we'll reach back out to you and communicate with you and pray with you but if you're here today and in the room and God has spoken to your heart and you need to ask for forgiveness come to this altar today you may need to speak to one of us you may not need to speak to anybody but God never called a silent disciple he calls us publicly to pronounce what he's done privately in our lives. And I challenge you, don't miss this moment. Father God, I pray right now you remove any barriers in the way. That one, in this, the one person in this room, the, the several in this room that just need to stand up and step out, Father, give them courage to do just that. Don't let them miss this moment. Father, I pray right now that you'll do your work in their life today. We start a brand new we nail it to the cross. We start now. And we start today. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.